Welcome to the Susquehanna Valley Baptist Pulpit, preaching a life worth living, abundant life in Christ. And now the message. From Philippians chapter number four this evening, we'll take a little bit of time, but I want to draw your attention before we really get started uh, to verse number six and seven. So look at those cautiously, if you will, with me this evening. Be careful for nothing, verse six says, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And notice the promise there in verse 7. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Much really could be said about peace, couldn't it? The peace of God. It's a great gift that God has given to His saints. Think for a moment with me, if you will, to the context of this Philippian church. It's a body of believers. They were a real church. And they received this word from the Apostle Paul. He's in prison. He's in bonds. It's related in verse number 1, or rather in chapter number 1. And they're reading of his care. They know he's in bonds. They know that there are those whose behavior is causing more difficulty to be added so that the affliction that Paul goes through is greater. And yet to this church, Paul writes, the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice, if you will, in chapter 2, just, just a word here. This is interesting. He commissions them in verse 29, 28. Now, this is to the believers. This is read to the believers. The Philippian church had this before the churches of Galatia. They had this before the third churches of Thessalonica, before the churches at Corinth. And to this Philippian church, he warns them of this. He says, And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you, who's the you? Well, primarily in the context, he's talking about these believers. By extension, it's us, but primarily when he was raised, writing to them, unto you is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. So they're a suffering church, they're a concerned church. We know from chapter 4, obviously, they're a giving church, but they and the Apostle Paul have a unique and special bond betwixt them. And there are many concerns that would plague their mind. And yet, notice again, verse number 7, the promise to be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And that promise, verse 7, and the peace of God, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Yet, of course, you know, if you have great concern for the Apostle Paul, insomuch that at times you're worried about his well-being, and I think that's part of the reason you have the balance of chapter 4 written where he's talking about he has all and he can do all things through Christ, which seems to me they had cared for him and he trusted the sustaining, sufficient hand of the Savior. But I would submit also that they have trouble sometimes within the body of believers. You reference these two dear ladies Yodius and Sintichi in verse number 2, and the commissioning that they be of the same mind. You know, it's an easy thing to pick on these dear ladies. They're named here, point blank. In verse number 3, you've got Clement, that fellow laborer in the gospel with Paul. Really, in some regards, there's conflict outside, oppression really. Inwardly in their heart, there's a continual concern for the apostle Paul. And yet, as they labor one with another, there's friction betwixt them. If ever there was a time that believers needed the overshadowing presence and the inward dwelling presence of the Almighty God in their life, this was the church and now is the time. 
And to them was promised, and the peace of God shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We think about the morning hour and we spoke of the conflict that arose uh, from those in Romans chapter 12 that openly opposed Christ and ultimately the Scriptures. For you and I, we could think of times even in our own life and perhaps recently, maybe it's at a workplace or uh, maybe it's interacting with family or whatever it may be or neighbors. You look at these things and you'll note that there are individuals that hate you because they really hate Christ. If ever there's a time for Christians similarly as it was with the Philippian church, to have and to know the peace of God that shall rule and keep their heart and mind, certainly a time when opposition is faced is that time. If ever there was a time where there was a group of believers that sometimes different temperaments, different personalities, different perspectives on life needed the overshadowing, guiding hand of the Almighty God to reverberate peace in their heart, surely that was a grand time. The word peace really is not an isolated word in scriptures. It's mentioned over 400 times throughout scriptures. And I would note that rather than being an isolated thought, it really is a very focused reality. I would submit to you all the way from its first mentioning in Genesis, all the way to its last mentioning in the book of Revelation, peace is an important impact in the life of every child of God. Now it's used, it's used truly in a number of different ways. Sometimes as you survey the Word of God, you'll find that uh, particularly in the book of Job, it's mentioned maybe a half a dozen, seven times. Most of those references due to the fact of uh, Job talking about an individual holding his peace, which is an idiom, a reference that would denote they did not speak. That's often the case. Sometimes as you look through many of the references in scriptures, you'll find that there's a whole number of times the word peace is used and it's referencing a peace offering, a free will offering that is made towards God from those that believe by faith in Him, particularly in the book of Leviticus. But this evening as we look at it, I want to get a broad biblical perspective of what peace truly is for the life of the believer. Some would look at peace as only being the absence of conflict and certainly there are places in which that is definitively the truth. For instance, I believe it's in the 121st Psalm or the 120th Psalm, David said, I am for peace, but they are for war. And so certainly in the scriptures as you consider the whole viewpoint, God's position on peace, you'll find in reference that it does sometimes mean the absence of hostility. But the absence of hostility was not the exclusive meaning because that would make no context of the passage we've read a number of times this night where he says, the peace of God that passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and mind. The absence of conflict is not the only predication that will keep my heart and mind through Christ Jesus. In the coming weeks, I want to look at a number of ways and thoughts about this idea of peace. I'd really like to take the opportunity at some point and look, uh, look in the Scriptures and find what truly peace does, how it keeps the heart of a believer, the promises or the empowering of peace, what that peace does in the life, uh, what is the results of having a heart and mind kept by God's peace. I'd like to look at the source of peace. Where does peace come from? How does one obtain that peace? I mean, if this piece here has the potential, as the Scripture says, to keep my hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, man, I want all of it. If you'll excuse the pun, I want every last piece of that piece that I can possibly have. But tonight, I really want to take the opportunity and really just define in broad strokes 
What does the scripture mean when it speaks of peace? What is biblical peace? And so tonight with the time we have, let me just give you seven thoughts. And there's a number of references, I'll make some comments, but this is really a foundation. It's laying a broad basis to it, if you will. What is biblical peace? Well, don't you know that biblical peace as you move throughout the scriptures could be defined as a reference to or of the gospel of Christ. We talk about peace. You'll note there in that verse, he talks about it keeps your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. And it pointed not only that Christ is divine in that sense that we would say that he could console us and he could keep us, but it points to a specific person of the Godhead that's found through Jesus Christ. So I would submit to you as one considers biblical peace and what it really is, you must understand that it has complete reference in part to the gospel of Christ Jesus. Consider these verses. Consider, if you will, Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 and in in, in chapter 2 and chapter 3, there are 13 indictments that God lays out against humanity. And six times he, he mentions the reference, no, not one. Exclusive that every individual ever born to Adam's race is under the almighty wrath of God. But then in verse 17 of chapter 3, speaking of this group, he says, The way of peace they have not known. You and I didn't know peace before we knew Christ. Yes, there might have been times when we knew an absence of hostility. But we did not know the peace that could keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I think of Romans chapter 5 and really a number of these as we consider come from the epistle to the Romans. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, Therefore being justified by faith, what do we have? I have peace with God. Why? Do you remember the last part of that? Through Christ Jesus our Lord. The peace that keeps your heart as a believer in your mind is directly sourced through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And keep in mind, prior to your salvation, you were an enemy of God. You were at enmity with God. Prior to salvation, you did not know the, had any idea what the thoughts of God's were or, or, or what, what His desires were or what He loved and what He disliked. You had general view that was given to you. You had instructions perhaps on morality. But after salvation, you have access to the Holy Spirit of God that indwells you. And because of such, now you have the word of truth, the very mind of Christ in your hands. And you can have illumination. And all of that came through Christ's finished work on Calvary. Sometimes in reference to peace, it is a reference to the gospel of Christ. I'll give you one more, and there are a number of these. I just picked three out of Romans that come to mind. But I think of Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 8 and 9, very familiar verses to us. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth, Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, the promise, thou shalt be saved. Listen to verse 15. It's a recitation from Isaiah, I believe. He says, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach, do you remember? The gospel of peace. I think of Ephesians chapter 6. The armament of the Christian soldier, helmet, you know, the helmet of salvation, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. A biblical definition, it references the very gospel of Christ. 
You ought to know as we spoke this morning why you have individuals that have open hostility towards the truths of the Word of God, why they are openly hostile, uh, hostile towards the uh, God of Scriptures, and ultimately why they are ultimately hostile towards those that follow Christ. Because they don't know the gospel of Christ. Notice a second reference, if you will, a second uh, uh, description of biblical peace. Not only is it a reference to the gospel of Christ, but a second thought I'd give you, it's also a reference to the quality of who God is. We say a number of things about God. The psalmist often would recite about the, the Lord is good. I think we did that this morning. Was it the 100th Psalm? His good and His mercy is everlasting and His truth endureth to all generations. We could say one of the attributes, one of the qualities of God is in fact that He is good. We could also say that another quality of His is that God is holy. First Peter chapter 1, Be ye holy as I am holy. And we could go and speak about God being love. You could mention all number of attributes that would describe the person, particularly of the, uh, of the Godhead, but specifically of God the Father as well. But one of the things you could say about God is that He is the God of peace. And throughout the Scriptures, particularly in the New Testament, you'll find this many times. Look, for instance, if you will, in Philippians chapter 4. Look at verse number 9. Those things, reference back up to verse 8, and by expression the entire chapter perhaps, those things which ye have learned and received and heard and seen in me do... And what's the last phrase? The God of peace will be with you. You want to talk about what peace is. Peace is a direct description, an attribute of who God is. Look back at that verse. You know, I, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but sometimes folks, Christians wonder why they don't have the peace of God. Notice the promise of the peace of God comes after the believer behaves according to the Word of God. And after the believer considers the truths of the Word of God, thereby they know how to behave. I give you that adage about right thinking, right action, right feelings. Verse number 9, those things that you have learned, they're cognitive. They're in your heart, they're in your mind. You've heard them, you've seen them, you've seen in me. What's the next verb? Do. That's your action. And now there's the promise. God of peace will be with you. Peace is a quality, an attribute of God. I think of Romans 15 and verse 33. Now the God of peace be with you. Or Romans chapter 16 and verse 20. The God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Amen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11. The God of love and peace shall be with you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. He talks about that the God of peace would sanctify your whole body. And then he's going to mention body, soul, and spirit that he would sanctify and set them all apart. You know, I'll submit to you, the closer you get to the God of peace, the more peace is expressed in your life. And that is true in so many ways in life too. The closer your walk with the God of holiness, the closer your walk resembles Him. The closer you walk to the God of love, the more love is an exuding characteristic of your life. The closer I walk with the God of peace, the greater hope and peace I have in this life. Notice a third one with me, if you will. As you think of biblical peace, not only a reference of the gospel of Christ, it's a quality of God, but I'll give you a third thing. It's a reference to the harmony 
that should be found amongst believers. I want to say a harmony of believers, but let's be honest with ourselves. All of us have been Yodius and Sintichi at one time in our life. Amen? Amen. Yeah. All of us at time have been Yodius and Sintichi. There's been a time that we've been at alt with someone else and perhaps over something of no eternal value. And it's important to realize that part of the biblical teaching of peace as it relates to the believer is a harmony and unity among believers. Think if you will, I mentioned this one just a moment ago, but uh, 2 Corinthians 13, he, he speaks about admonishing them to be perfect, be of good, company, uh, of good comfort, to be of one mind, and he admonishes the believers with this phrase, live in peace. That's an admonishment really, isn't it? I mentioned the morning hour. It to me is an easy thing to live at peace with people that adore me. I, this morning I talked about love, but you know, you think of a little child. That to me as a father is one of the great difficult areas, you know, to realize that when they're little, the children think that you, you are the greatest person to ever grace Terra Firma. There's nothing you don't know and there's nothing you can't do. And then they grow to a point in realizing that dad does have limitations. Then they move to the point where they realize that they actually might know, these are the teenagers, they actually might know more than dad and be able to do more than dad. And then they move further in life and with a little grace and wisdom they look back and say, wow, I had a great dad. And then they move to the point in life where dad has to be helped by them. That's the narrative of life. It takes something in the Christian life to live at peace with each other. If you look for distinctions, if you want to look for something to fuss about, you will not have to look far in life. I was reading a rather lengthy article this week. It's talking about temperaments, you know, personality, things like that. And it's written more of a biblical side, not really a psychological side, but a biblical side. And as they were going through this, they made a statement that really grabbed me and said, the reality is we can all see how God might use our strengths. But too often it's our weaknesses that prevent us from Him using us at all. And regardless of one's temperament or experience, every one of us have weaknesses. And those are some earnest areas, yes, with our strengths, but particularly I speak of our weaknesses, that we must be aware of in life. And we must readily give them to the throne of God. And we must readily by prayer and uh, death to the fleshly man pursue peace one with another. What a sad thing for any Christian that we move down through our Christian life and really never get victory over some weaknesses that so often prevent us from serving Him. To the Corinthian believers, he said, be perfect. Be maturing. And what do you do? Live in peace. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3, this harmony of the believer, listen to the words of the... Well, in fact, you're in Philippians, so flip over to Ephesians. You're just a couple pages away. <clears throat> Look in Ephesians chapter 4. I'll give you a second to turn there. And you can listen to the language. It's imploring. The Holy Spirit of God is. 
moving on the pen of the Apostle Paul. He's imploring these believers in chapter 4. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you, beg you, entreat you, plead with you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. How? How do you do this? You're to walk in lowliness. Romans 12, mind not high things. Be not, James would say, high-minded. With all lowliness and meekness. Meekness is a beautiful picture of Christ. It is one, as well been said, strength under divine control. With long-suffering, that has the idea of endurance. That has the idea of one that can abide under some difficulties in life. Which, by the way, I believe you'll find to be a fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? Isn't long-suffering a fruit of the Spirit? Yes. In fact, long-suffering is one of the great uh, requirements of a pastor. He tells him in 2 Timothy chapter 4 to preach the Word. Be instant in season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering. My, you're going to attain something from the Lord. If you're going to do a work from God, you're going to have to pursue peace. It is the calling of the life in every believer to have harmony, a pursuit of harmony and peace one with another. Where are we at? Verse number three, endeavoring. There's a beautiful word. To keep the unity of the Spirit in what? The bond of peace. So when you find and think about biblical peace, it's not just the absence of hostility. It's not just the viewpoint that is often mentioned in Job, I think primarily mentioned uh, several times in Job about holding one's peace. It's a reference to the gospel of Christ. It's an attribute to the character of God, but it is also should be a pursuit of every believer. Listen to one more as you flip back over to Philippians. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he, he, he's about to open up into those litany of closing statements. He says in chapter 5 and verse 13 of Thessalonians, and to esteem them, he talks in the previous verse about know them that rule over you, to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and note this, be at peace among yourself. I would note the world doesn't truly know that. I marvel sometimes to open, I don't really open newspapers. I, I don't think I've owned a newspaper in months, years maybe. But for those that oft read the news, it's amazing how the world works. Something happens, and it's the talk of town. And it eats at them. And just as soon as that thing, publication, news, has healed over a little bit, what happens? Another one occurs. And it runs its course like a bad virus, and then it heals, and then what happens? They're constantly churning. You know, a lot of times that's the mindset a lot of believers have within the confines of the assembly. They've just got to go from one fire to another fire to another fire. Endeavoring to have peace sometimes means don't let your fire get lit. Endeavor to have some peace. Peace of God. Harmony with the believers. Notice the fourth thing, if you will. This is similar to the first, but I want to extend it a little bit more here. The first of that was a reference to the, the work of Christ. Uh, number four, I would say in, in some specificity, it's also a reference to the results of Christ's finished work. Not just what He did, but what He has done 
in my life particularly. If you're over in Philippians, you were in chapter 6 of Ephesians a moment ago, I believe it was, or chapter 4. Look over in chapter 2. I want to read a series of verses because we look in Romans, and Romans is going to tell us about the gospel of Christ. And it's going to broadcast in chapter 4 as we started in verse number 1 about because we're justified, we have peace with God. But now in Ephesians, he's going to move beyond just the initial salvation and he's going to look at, to a great extent, positionally how we're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Not just about what Christ did in a worldwide sense, not just what about we gained in reference to God, but what we have in reference to what we possess right now as believers. And look at Ephesians chapter 2. It's marvelous you can read down through the first few verses. I particularly am fond of chapter 1 and verse 19. He uses four distinct words to reference the power that God has given you as a believer. So any time you consider in your life that there's a sin that you cannot have victory over, you need to go read Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19. If any there's a time that there's a difficulty in this life and you say, <coughs> a difficulty in this life, you say, I don't, I don't think I can go through this difficulty. You need to read Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19. Anytime there's a temptation in your life and you do not think you can resist, you need to have Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19. Anytime there's a calling in God, uh, from God for you to specifically surrender to Him in an area, you need to consider Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19. That is available to you right now as a child of God. It is not available to the world over, but to you, even to the weakest among us that know Jesus Christ and have the indwelling of His Spirit that came at the moment of our salvation, there is, note verse 19, an exceeding greatness of His power towards usward who believe according to the working, and that is a continual, steadfast, energizing, mighty, that deals with uh, absolute power, and then he concludes with power, and that has the idea in particular, Kratos, it has the opportunity of dominion. Our God's just not a God. He rules and reigns on high. One day the world will be his footstool. Isn't it interesting? The world that opposes him will one day, Philippians says, bow the knee and confess him as Lord. But I'm in chapter 2. Look, if you will, speaking of what you've gained by virtue of your salvation, that finished work, a portion of that finished work in you. Notice, if you will, pick up in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off. Now that word sometimes, don't misunderstand it. It doesn't mean you were and you weren't simultaneously. That's how we use sometimes. You might would say you're traveling and sometimes you stop at a McDonald's but most of the time you stop at a Wendy's. And that gives you the opportunity to say that often you prefer a Wendy's, but you might on occasion go to McDonald's. That's not what this sometimes means. This sometimes means in your times past you behaved like this. It was some time ago, this is how you behaved. It's in keeping with Titus, where he uses the similar verbiage as well. But now in Christ, ye who sometimes, that's all of us, were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Notice verse 14, what's it say? For he is what? Our peace. Now I want you to think about this a moment. I was far off from Christ, right? Yep, I was far off from Christ. I was estranged. The previous verses 
He's going to talk about aliens. Uh, I guess later on he's going to talk about aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. All right, so I'm distant from him. The blood of Christ has allowed me a mediator. Notice, notice the verbiage in verse 14. For he, what's the verb? What does is tell you? Current. So what do you have to do to make that uncurrent? Swip the breaker off, you know? What do you have to do? If you can lose your salvation, it can't be an is. There's a level of distinction. Right now, Christ is still your peace. He has, good word here, satiated the wrath of the Almighty God. And you know what? He's still doing that work for you. That's that finished work. That's why Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 should resonate in our heart. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you shall what? Perform it. He's going to complete it until the day when I see the very face of Christ. So what is peace? Well, it's a reference to the gospel of God. It's a reference to his attributes. It's a reference to the endeavor I ought to have as a believer. But it is a direct reference to the finishing work of God in me concurrent right now. He is my peace. He goes on in verse number 15. He says, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. What enmity? I was an enemy of God. He took it away. I'll no longer be an enemy of God. Even the law of commandments containing the ordinance for to make himself of twain one new man so making peace. Verse 17, And came and preached peace to you which were far off and to them that were nigh, meaning the Jew that had the evidence of the oracles of God. For through him we have access by one spirit unto the Father. What is peace? It's a direct reference results in the completed or finished work of God in your life. My time's nearly gone and I'm on number five, so let me give you a fifth one. You think about peace in the scriptures, it's a reference to the stability that should be found in every believer. I think about James chapter one, you know. Peace isn't mentioned in this particular phrase or verse. But James chapter one talks about the double-minded man who is what? No stability. We have a remarkable number of believers today that have no stability. They just come and go. I, I think of Ephesians. He's going to talk in Ephesians about uh, them being blown about. I think that's chapter 4. Yeah, well, here it is, verse 14. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. There are a lot of Christians just blown to and fro. They make the best decisions they think they can make and are flabbergasted, discombobulated when things don't go right. You see, peace, because of the work of Christ, because of the gospel of Christ, because of the attribute of God, because of the pursuit that should be present in my life, peace really should be a stabilizing thing in my life. Think about our verse in Philippians chapter 4. The peace of God which passeth all understanding shall what? Well, what does keep mean? Well, in this context, keep means to guard like a sentinel. The peace of God 
can guard your heart and mind. You've put the truths of the Word of God in it. You've meditated. You've put them inwardly. You've hid the Word of God in your heart that you might not sin against Him. You've meditated. You've revolved your mind on the truths of the Word of God. And now it's that presence of that inward contained truth that provides a stabilizing aspect to the believer. Many believers don't have the stabilizing aspect because they've never ingested, if I can put it in that sense, the truths of the Word of God. To keep your heart is to sentinel it, to protect it, to garrison it through the Lord Jesus. In Colossians chapter 3 we read, And let the peace of God, here's a great word, rule in your heart. That's amazing. I'm not only to let him keep me, to sentinel me, to, to guard me, but I'm to allow his peace to rule supreme. That word rule has the idea to govern. I'm to let it be the final word in life. It's final. It's not there to be argued with. It's not there to be adjudicated against. It's not there to be pushed back or to find some uh, proverbial loophole that's then. I'm there to look at the Word of God and to receive it. And if I receive the Word of God, I'll have a kept mind and a heart ruled by stability in this life. Biblical peace is a reference to stability that should be found in every believer. Number six, and there's just so many of them that deal with this, so we might as well add a sixth thing. It's a reference to the pursuit that should be found in each believer. More than just we looked at a moment ago, the pursuit between believers. I'm talking about the pursuit of an individual believer. For instance, 2 Timothy 2.22. The previous verses he's going to talk about, in every great house there are vessels of honor and dishonor. And therefore in verse number 21 he says, he says, flee some things. In fact, in verse 22, he says, Flee also youthful lusts, but follow after faith, charity. Do you remember the third thing? Peace. Oh, that the child of God would learn to pursue peace in their life. Listen, they, I'm not talking about joining hands and singing kumbaya. I'm talking about embracing the precepts and the commands of the Word of God. And in that moment, that, that time frame, that, that point in life where a decision needs to be made and you say, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, the child of God should say they should always follow and pursue peace. And you'll only find peace through God. So therefore the answer to any decision in life is simply to do what God has expressly commanded you to do. To follow His principles and precepts. And to Timothy, the Scriptures writes, follow righteousness. You do come to any decision in life. You come to any conflict. Righteousness is always a right answer. Faith is always a right answer. For whatsoever is not a faith is sin. Charity, that agape type love, is always a right answer for a believer. And the way of peace is equally always a path a believer should seek to pursue. In reference to making decisions that will please God. I think of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14. Listen to this. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. James chapter 3 and verse 18. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. 1 Peter chapter 3 
Verse number 10, in fact, in the previous verses, he's talking about uh, dwelling with the wife according to knowledge and honoring all men, things of this nature. You come to verse number 10. Uh, he speaks of letting him that would see long days. And he goes on in verse number 11, let him eschew evil. Eschew means to avoid, to go out of the way. He says, let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue after it. That word ensue, it means, well, actually, it's the same word Paul used in Philippians chapter 3 when he said, I press towards the mark. That word is to persecute. That's the idea of what a runner would do if they're pressing forward on that final lap. What do they do? They push with all their energy, all their effort, all their being, everything that's left. And Paul is saying that as he said, I'm persecuting towards the mark of Jesus Christ. I am pressing forward with every effort I have. And that ought to be the same pursuit you and I have towards faith. And certainly, as Peter mentions here, towards peace with the brethren and specifically towards peace in our own life. Is a reference to the pursuit of a believer. Now lastly, and this kind of builds to its final essence, what is biblical peace? In its final expression, I would submit to you that it is a reference to the presence of God. Where God is will be marked by peace. 119th Psalm and the 165th verse. We spoke through this last summer. Great peace have they which keep thy law and nothing shall offend them. Prophet Isaiah knew something about this. In Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Why? Because he trusteth in thee. Later in the 12th verse he says, Lord, thou wilt ordain peace for us, for thou hast wrought all our works in us. He's looking, God, you're going to have and ordain peace for me because of the work that you have done in and through me. Now I'll share two other references out of Isaiah with you. That's Isaiah 57, 21. It's also Isaiah 48, 22. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Isn't that amazing? Biblical peace is always indicative of the presence of God. That's why a believer ought to have peace. That's why the house of God ought to be a place of peace. That's why my devotion and communion with God ought to by very uh, ascribing of factions be peaceful. Why? It's the presence of God. Yes, biblical peace can deal with the absence of hostility. Yet for the believer, the presence of Christ and His finished work calls great depth and breadth to be seen in the peace of God. Surely we should let it reign in our hearts. And therefore be ye thankful. The great gift of God to His saints. The peace of God that passes all understanding. Let's stand to our feet. Father, thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us, please write us at P.O. Box 126-541, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 17112 and visit our website at www.svbcpa.org. Until next time.